You're listening to Legally Bliss Conversations. This podcast reclaims and rewrites the stories female attorneys have been told about how we should practice law, grow our businesses, treat our clients, treat ourselves, and craft our identities as female attorneys. We'll hear inspiring stories from current and former female attorneys, the ones who question the stories they've been told, the ones who aren't afraid to live boldly and step into their own power. We'll learn from women who define success on their terms. Through lighthearted and curious conversation, we'll unpack the challenges these inspiring female attorneys have already navigated. So join me on this journey. You'll be empowered and ready to rewrite a completely new story about what is possible for you. Welcome, Danielle Bass. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today um, on the Legally Bliss podcast. So let me tell everyone just a little bit about Danielle. She is a corporate attorney at Wilson Sonsini, Goodrich and Rosati, where she focuses her practice on transactional matters involving information technology, my favorite intellectual property, data and media with an emphasis on commercial relationships. Danielle frequently drafts and negotiates various agreements regarding the development, license and transfer of intellectual property, property, media and technology. Prior to joining WSGR, Danielle was a partner at Hottingman and a corporate finance associate at Dykema Gossett. Danielle earned her JD from the University of Michigan Law School, where she um, graduated magna cum laude and order of the coif. When Danielle is not on the clock, you can find her on her yoga mat or in the kitchen with her daughter baking. So thanks again for hanging out with me um, today, Danielle. Let me ask you, what is your favorite treat to bake with your little girl? Oh, that's tough. So she, she's big on scones. Um, it's actually like the cutest thing. She, she, we make scones in the air fryer of all things. And um, her favorite thing is like helping me mix and then we put it in the air fryer and uh, she likes like raised cinnamon raisin scones. And last week we made pumpkin spice scones. Oh Lord. Oh my gosh. It sounds amazing. How'd they yeah. turn out? They turn out okay? They turned out good. She told me that they were too dark on the top, um, but that's just like how air fryers work, but we're working on it. You know, you work, it's I, like a work in progress, right? I'm like every day of my life is like top chef, toddler edition, and I haven't, you know, been <laughs> fired yet. So I just, I, I nod and I say, thank you, chef. And, and we call it a day. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So you also said that you um, are on your yoga mat a yeah. lot. So yeah. let me ask you, um, how has yoga impacted your legal practice? Excellent question. So uh, it's, it's ironic, but the, the owner of my yoga studio is an ex like tax lawyer of all things. Um, but really I started practicing, I was a three sport athlete in high school and I started practicing like as soon as I finished my track season, my senior year. And it really just helped make me present for an hour or however many, you know, minutes of my day where I can connect with my body, get out of my head and just feel like I'm like getting the yayas out is like, I like to say it. And it makes me more present, makes me more thoughtful. And it helps me in, in my everyday work in just like taking a breath, taking a beat, taking a pause. Um, besides just like the physical benefits, it's more of just like, 
letting my mind marinate around whatever is happening. Um, I do transactional work, like you mentioned, and, and oftentimes it's not as you know contentious as I'd say are my friends in litigation, but it is a situation where both parties want to have their way. And so trying to advocate for your client you know, aggressively or zealously, as well as, you know, getting a deal done is a very, you know, tough tightrope to walk. So it helps me do that. And it also just not being on a screen for an hour. I remember just like being in college and it was like the only time I was away from my phone. And that was like really monumental. And now it's literally I'm away from every screen available to me. That's amazing. So you have sort of your own kind of internal, I guess, practice that you're doing versus following a video, particularly when you're like at, at your. Oh house. yeah. 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 So during the pandemic, I built myself a, a hot yoga studio. Uh, oh, good which for is, you. Uh, it's really the only thing keeping me going. Um, but I, I do live stream with my studio and then I practice on my own. So. I love that. I love that. So you love yoga and okay. So let me ask you this. This is, this is really cool. You told me something about you that I thought was absolutely fascinating. And when you told me, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to talk with her. You managed to, um, become a partner by the time you're 29 years old. <laughs> and I know like, as you know, many of us, when we, we get out of law school, you know, if we go straight to law school, like we're looking 22 out of law, out of college, right? 25 out of law school. I'm being general. I'm being very general. And that's like your traditional kind of path. And that's a fairly like straightforward path. And even at that point, I couldn't imagine making partner at 29 years old. So I want to know how you did this. <laughs> Excellent question. No, and it's it's funny because um, I, I I had found in undergrad I had done like a capstone course where we were just thinking about where we would like to be in ten years, and I was twenty two, I was twenty one, twenty two, no twenty one, and you know I had drawn a picture of myself at twenty one and then at twenty two, and and I said I'm going to have you know I'm going to be married. I had been dating my my, my now husband at the time. I'm going to be married. I'm going to have one kid. Um, which I knew somehow was going to be a girl and I've like forgotten about that. Um, and I'll be partner at a law firm and like all this stuff. And like, I had forgotten that I'd like made all of these plans. And then here I was, you know, January, 2020, looking at this picture and being like, whoa, um, I did all of the things. It was like vision boarding, you know, yes. times, times a million. So um, I started my career at, like you mentioned, at, at Dyke Magasset. I was a general corporate associate. Um, I did everything kind of just like soup to nuts, securities, financings, uh, corporate governance, all of that fun stuff. And I, I really always liked soft IP. I liked commercial transactions. I liked the vibe of, of just helping businesses get a tool, get a service, you know, sell something, buy something rather than like companies, which felt very just like, uh, just, it just not my speed in terms of timing and just like energy. And so I wanted to do more of that work. And, um, you know, I just wasn't getting the opportunities that I thought I was, you know, that, that I was needed at the time. And around that time, a good friend of mine who was in law school and I was an undergrad at Michigan was moving home and he was starting the technology transactions practice at Honigman and was like, 
come be our first associate hire. And I was like, no, I'm super happy because I also thought when you went to a law firm, um, you went through the whole, you know, just, you know, dating process of interviewing for summer associate positions, like you find your firm and you stay committed, you are loyal, you, you are married. <laughs> and so there I was, you know, like 18 months, you know, at this firm and thinking like, this isn't for me. Like I, I struggled with that. Um, so the long story short is I ended up leaving, leaving Dykema, going to Honigman and loving it and really just jumping in with two feet. Um, they have a shorter uh, runway to partnerships so you're eligible after year five, which was, which was what year I was. Um, but it was also what I like to think is just like, I took the bull by the horns and I took ownership of every single transaction or client interaction that I had. Mm -hmm. I treated every partner, like they were my client. I treated every client like they were, you know, the most important thing in my life. Um, and I tried to learn as much as I could. I was, I was the only associate in the group. So I was doing just a ton of reps on, on everything from, you know, services agreements to, you know, SAS arrangements or licenses and things like that. And the thing that I found, you know, was I quickly earned the trust of a lot of clients because I was human. To a certain extent, um, I always like, I think you get two types of lawyers in big law, like the like, we're going to get it done. And this is how it's going to be and like very prescriptive and like has kind of no personality. And, and like, I like what I do, I want to continue to do this for a very long time. And so like, I try to get to know my clients, I talk to them, like I would talk to, you know, you or my friends or my family. Um, you know, I make really, really funny metaphors to try to explain business issues to them. And I've found over the years that people like that. Um, so I was given a lot of trust um, and um, a lot of responsibility really, really early on um, because I indicated I was ready for it. And then I showed that I was. So, you know, I was a fourth year associate managing $800,000 of a book of business and looking at the bills and managing the client relationship. And that was amazing. Um, so yeah, I made partner at 29. Um, with my, with my, I think, 18 months in tow, I had been on maternity leave the year before, and that was a big concern of mine. Um, right. Yeah. And, and that was, that was a hard kind of management of, of work-life balance as I, you know, Layla, my daughter, she just, just figuring out how to be present for her, but also be present for my clients and, and just being honest about that. Um, but it took a lot of grit, a lot of, you know, mental toughness, a lot of, sweat on my yoga mat, but, but we made it. <laughs> With Layla on board. I love that. Yeah. So this is, I, I can tell that client experience is super important to you. Mm -hmm. um, and you have, you have a track record of going above and beyond for your clients. Like I love the idea of doing like the metaphors. It's really cool. Um, they were able to develop trust in you, even though you were a young associate right and I think that sometimes clients are like oh she's so young you know can she do this so can you give me like one of your favorite tips in terms of how to make your clients feel amazing or appreciated yeah so 
in the type of work that I do, I'm often communicating either with directly with business people, so people that don't have any legal experience, and I'm really kind of talking in layman's terms with them, or I'm working with in-house counsel that isn't necessarily up to speed on the particular subject matter that I'm an expert in. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what I'm doing and, and something that I think no one really teaches you in law school is, is client counseling with like kid gloves, right? So explaining something and not saying like, look, we need the indemnity to cover your infringement. We, we, we have to make sure that this is carved out from the limitation of liability. Like that doesn't resonate with your average Joe. So talking about what kind of, you know, what does this feel like in the real world? What are the actual risks? Um, what do we do about it? And a lot of that is like an education piece. Um, you know, having conversations with the client about, you know, why is this important to you and like what, helping empower them to ask questions about um, how this impacts them because they, they're the ones driving the commercial terms. They're the, the, the ones driving the deal. I'm just there to hold their hand from a legal perspective um, and a risk allocation perspective. And so um, again, I'm like big on like metaphors and trying to help. I, I, I use dating often, which is ironic because I've been with my husband since we were 17 and I like have no idea how dating works anymore. But, you know, I talk a lot about like, look guys, we're prenupping the relationship. Like we think we're in love. We think that this is going to be, you know, rainbows and butterflies, but what happens down the road if things don't turn out as planned? You know, who's going to take care of, you know, the dog? How, who's going to keep the house? Like we need to think about these types of things. And usually one, it disarms them because legal gives a lot of business people, particularly anxiety. They feel like we are a hurdle. They feel like we are not on their team. And like, that's, that's why I went to law school. I am the legal problem solver. Like I, I am on every single team of my you know clients. I want them to see me as their trusted advisor. I don't want to be, I, I hate when lawyers get the reputation of being like, just, you know, hurdles in the deal. Like, like yeah. that's, that's just like not my vibe. And so one is like, I like to disarm them. I love making my clients laugh. I, sometimes mm. it's not appropriate, but I do it. And <laughs> I, and, and then just like answering questions and being like, does that make sense to you? And, and trying to empower them to feel like they understand the deal because the worst case scenario is that I make decisions for a client that they feel uncomfortable with. And then they sign a deal, something goes wrong and they come back to me and they're like, what did we do this for? And, 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 and they can't explain it themselves. So mm -hmm. I think that's how I like to make my clients feel special. Um, um, I also am always very, very communicative about expectations on like turnaround and availability and all of those types of things. Every client thinks that they are the most important client and I like to make them believe that they are. Um, so doing my best to, to help that. I love that. So what would you say your superpower is as a attorney and human? Superpower. Um, I can handle a lot. I have the like persistence and like capacity to take on a lot, mm -hmm. um, both substantively and otherwise. I find myself on the phone with clients often and thinking like, they are just like, they're venting to me. Like I am the most expensive therapist in the world right now. And, 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 but 
but it happens often. And my, and my husband often says like, it's because you give them like the trust that they feel like they can talk to you about whatever is happening from, you know, like they're, they're frustrated with the deal that, you know, they're talking about like the emotions behind that and just being like a kind, you know, ear to listen to. And like, I have some emotional intelligence that I feel like people appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I take on a lot. I am extremely good at organizing my time and spinning thousands and thousands of plates simultaneously. Um, a lot of feedback that I get is that like, you know, how did you do it all, all those fun things? And like, it's, it's less of like, how do I do all of the things? But like, when do I do all of the things? Because there's gonna be all of the things to do. It's just trying to make it work. And so, um, I'm very regimented. I have a very, very prescriptive lifestyle. I wake up every morning at four and I work out and I have my mornings and then I, you know, take my daughter to school and like time block my day. Um, so I would say just like the ability to just, just do and handle a lot. Um, of course, it's to my detriment often because I often don't, you know, raise my hands and say like, you know, we're going down. Like I can't handle anymore. Um, so working on that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Sometimes it's just as important to be able to, to not take it on. Right. And to be okay with saying no to certain things. So I think it's really fascinating. You told me that you are also, um, you were also teaching at Michigan, right? Yes, I'll be teaching a course next uh, to the winter course. It's registration just opened. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go sign up right now. So this is, this is really cool. And will this be your first experience teaching? Yeah. So in law school, I was part of this, this clinic. It was a lab um, where we worked with fortune 500 companies and basically did the projects that their in-house teams didn't have time for and they didn't want to pay outside counsel for. And I loved it. It was unbelievable. It gave me so much experience. The professor was amazing and they no longer offer the lab. And in the last two years, you know, I often get cold calls from law students or from summer associates and, and first years of like, I want to do the type of work you're doing. Where do I learn more? Mm-hmm. And law school is historically not super helpful for transactional students generally in providing them practical, you know, experiences. But even when you do get those practical experiences, right, you do like, you know, your entrepreneurship clinic, your drafting or your, you know, negotiations, there's no one really talking about like IP transactions or technology transactions or commercial transactions as it relates to technology. And it's a burgeoning market. Um, a ton of big laws uh, firms have huge practice groups as it relates to it. And so I was talking to a professor and I was like, you know, I wish they had just a class about this. And he was like, okay, well, why don't you teach it? And I was like, yeah, that's really funny. Um, <laughs> because I would guest lecture at like, you know, I, in certain classes at Michigan um, as it related to my practice. And I loved it always. And he was like, no, really like, like talk to the Dean about it. And so I did. And they were like, yeah what, what day works best for you? And I was like, are you sure? Like, I am, <laughs> I am not qualified at all. Um, and, and they were like, no, we want somebody kind of in the trenches that, you know, remembers what it's like to be a law student and a first year, second year, but kind of knows how to manage up, manage down. And so you're perfectly situated to, to do this. And so I have a lot of imposter syndrome as it relates to it, but we are managing it and coping and I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> No, yeah, I want you to come back on in 
after you've started teaching, like let's say maybe in the spring and then we can reconnect on it. I'd love to hear about your experience, but I think it's really interesting that you, you know, so quickly say I'm not qualified. And I'm like, you, you are so qualified, right? First thing I thought was, oh no, she's got imposter syndrome, right? Like you just, you don't hear men saying that as much, although men do have imposter syndrome. It's just, it's so much more, uh, I guess, pervasive um, amongst females to, to question like, well, should I really be here? Do I deserve this? Can I yeah. really give back the way that I want to in this position? And I have no doubt it's going to be an amazing um, course. Let's take a quick pause for a message from my sponsor, Prominent Practice. Are you thinking about a career transition from big law or partnership to a solo practice, selling your practice, or maybe you're launching a project unrelated to law? Whatever the reason for your transition, you'll need support along the way. Enter Prominent Practice, an executive consulting and marketing firm specializing in branding, positioning, and reputation management for transitioning attorneys. Founded by a female entrepreneur who spent a decade building smart digital platforms for thought leaders before pivoting to focus on high-end service providers who were preparing for successions, mergers, and acquisition events in their businesses. If you're thinking about making a big business move, don't risk losing the ability to leverage the reputation you've spent your career building. Let Prominent Practice be your guide. Visit prominentpractice.com slash bliss for an exclusive introduction. You saw like a need, right? You saw that there was this missing piece and you brought it up to someone and they were so receptive. They're like, yeah come teach. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool. I, it's, it's so funny. So uh, my husband always says that it's not who you know, but it's who knows you. So like when people know your character, when they know your value and they know your personality and, and they know, you know, the type of, you know, person you are and what you're interested in, it's way more valuable than you asking somebody for anything. And so, I mean, this was like one of those perfect kind of opportunities or examples of that in which I found a situation that I just, I said something very off the cuff and he was like, no, we're going to make this happen. And, and, and I kind of secretly always dreamed of teaching at Michigan law and teaching anywhere. Like it's, it's, it's so humbling to like, you know, just being on campus and thinking like, oh my God, I can't believe that I'm here. Whenever I get emails and they're like, Professor Bass, I'm like, who's that? Could you foresee teaching um, at Michigan or any university becoming a larger part of your kind of work portfolio? Yeah, I think that, so one of the things that makes my heart super full and I'm really passionate about is like just sharing the experiences that I've had because nobody really prepares you for life in big law um, Mm -hmm. or in a big law firm generally. I mean, I felt super prepared to draft, you know, the reps and warranties in an asset purchase agreement for, you know, a patent transaction or, you know, whatever substantive, you know, task came my way. But like, how do you talk to clients? How do you manage your own work-life balance? You know, air quotes, how do you protect your time? How do you, you know, give feedback? How do you get feedback? And, And just some of these like very, 
people-oriented type of skills that you have to learn along the way. And I was super lucky to have great mentors and people who taught me a lot and protected me. And mm -hmm. I don't see that as much in my practice um, or in the people that I, you know, am surrounded by. And, and so in any way I can do that for the people behind me is totally, you know, a priority. But also I see so many women of my year, of years above me, leaving in droves and, mm -hmm. and going to either, you know, in-house positions, which is totally fine, um, going to private practice or contract positions, or just like leaving the practice altogether. And it's so devastating to me, at least, because like, I spent a lot of time and effort and money and like energy getting my degree. And I'm really, really proud of it. And I like what I do. Like, I think it still feels like work. I don't believe the, you know, the do what you love. You don't work a day in your life. Like it's work. It is hard. It is mentally exhausting. But do I leave feeling good about what I'm doing? Absolutely. And so when I see other women leaving, I think, what tools did they not have? What values did they not have? Like, you know, those types of things. And so if I can empower, you know, five, six, seven, a dozen, you know, young women to stay and do what they wanted to do because they had those tools, like, excellent, like dream come true. What are your thoughts on setting up kind of like more rigid mentor relationships, right? Like within the, within a law firm, like having like a structured program. Yeah. You, know, you, so, you ask where these people go, right? Like where do the young women go? <laughs> we, we leave, right? I mean, we come out of law school, most of us are women. And then by the time partnership rolls around, yeah, like 15% of us are you know, are represented. So what about mentorship programs within, within law practices? So I'm actually not a fan of formal mentorship because I don't think it's organic. I think mentorship is something that happens along the way, right? Mm -hmm. Like my best mentors are people that I worked for, you know, in passing, I was a research assistant for a professor and like, you know, just had these interactions with him that let me feel like he knew me and that I could trust him. And then, you know, I would call him and ask him, you know, about lateraling or about situations I was dealing with at work and like, felt like I could get, you know, some kind of feedback from him and things like that. And so there's those situations, there's people that you are in leadership positions with. So I'm part of an organization called the Association for Corporate Growth, which is a middle market kind of networking group or chapters all over the world. And like, it's not just lawyers. And I do a ton of work with recruiters and, and private equity people and uh, investment bankers and accountants and things like that. And like talking to them and learning from them and, and just like interacting with them. I think mentorship is something that's like, it's like professional friendship almost. Like, it's like, mm -hmm. I see you as a person, we have a professional relationship and like, I want to be a deeper relationship. When you have this formal relationship in like a law firm and you're assigned somebody and like, it feels very rigid, like you feel like you have to be there. And, you know, it, it's like an arranged marriage, if you will, like, you know, let, let me date, let me find, let me find the right yeah. mentor, the right fit for me. Um, you know, when I came back from maternity leave, I was assigned a, a mentor that, you know, was also a young mom. And to a certain extent, it was nice, but I also was like craving, like the partner that was like, you know, 
20, like her kids were 20 years old and she had done this and she could say, look, your kids are going to turn out fine if you miss fast time one night, you know, or, or screw work, go to gibberie, do what you need to do. Like, this is not important. You will never get this back. And, and it took me, you know, sitting down with, with, with the older, you know, partner and just being really vulnerable and being like, I am struggling to figure out how to make this work. Like I had a, you know, a young baby or toddler at home and, and just being like really vulnerable in that moment. And something that I frankly would never have done with a male partner or colleague uh. and like teary eyed. And she would looked at me and just like, was like, Danielle, like, this is fine. And she, she had a full conversation with me and that was something that wasn't formal. She, she owed me no time. Um, and then I felt really comfortable to like call her and thank her and talk to her. And, and that was like an organic experience that I never think I would have had if it was a like matchmaker situation. <laughs> An arranged marriage, right? Um, that's a good analogy. And it kind of goes back to your relationships and dating um, analogies that you like using. But um, so, okay, like, let's say I'm a young associate mm-hmm. and I'm kind of quiet. I'm kind of introverted. I've been thrown into this legal world. My family, I don't come from a family full of lawyers, so I'm not super connected. So if I wanted to find a mentor mm-hmm. and initiate a conversation, mm-hmm. would you, do you have any guidance on that in terms of like how to do it, who to look for and how to actually approach someone and how to maintain an amazing relationship? I just threw in like four questions there. So, so, so I will say too, like the, the, the mentorship relationship is on the mentee. It's not on the mentor. I have had mentor relationships where like, or people that like want to be my mentor. And I'm like, I don't want you as a mentor. Like I choose, I choose you as my mentor. Like you don't choose me. Um, So there is some onus on the mentee to like be proactive. And I think that that's the right approach. And my advice generally in anything that, that a young lawyer is doing is to look for the people and the, and the type of, work that you think you want to do in 5, 10, 15, 20 years, whatever it is, and say, do I like their life? You know, of what I know, do I, are they, you know, mid-divorce, never see their kids? Are they unhappy, you know, stay at the office all the time? Or are there pictures of their kids and they're leaving at four to go to dance or whatever the situation is? Like, look at their lifestyle, look at how happy they are, um, look at their success in work. And if that's something that you see in yourself as something of interest, then I would be really, really honest. And, and I would say, hi, my name's Danielle. I'm a new associate at XYZ firm. And then it doesn't have to be at your firm. That's their secret is like, I think mm-hmm. some of the best mentors are not at your firm half that's the time. A great, that's a great idea. Yeah. Um, and they don't even have to be lawyers. Sometimes they're, they're, they're other successful business people, but I would just say, you know, I'm starting out my career. I love how you've been able to navigate whatever you're interested in, you know, insert that. I would love to take you to coffee or do a Zoom or whatever it is and just pick your brain on, you know, tips and tricks and like things that I might be able to learn along the way from you. Mm-hmm. And then you do that and you are kind and, and generous and, and, you know, you, you spend the time. Um, but it's really relationship building. Like it's, it's, if you, if you hit it off and you have a great conversation with somebody, like shoot them an email, say, thank you. And then like six months later or three months later, say like, I really enjoyed our conversation. I'm thinking about what we talked about and I'm dealing with this. 
do you mind getting lunch? And then you build those relationships over time. And I think a lot of the time young attorneys or just people in general want, you know, relationships to happen like that, but it, it takes time and energy and, and sewing. And so I think just treating it like that is, is a really great approach. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you, what is the biggest mistake that you think young lawyers are making right now? Not protecting their time. Mm -hmm. I just spoke at Michigan Law in their entrepreneurship class and was talking about how I'm very, very um, strategic about and, and intentional about protecting certain times. So every, every morning I take my daughter to school and that's my time and I am not available at, ever for that time. That's my time for, for, for me and Layla. And then, you know, I do bedtime every single night. That's my thing. Um, and I do not take calls during that time there, you know, the, the, Wilson Santini is not going to burn down if I'm not available at, at 7 p.m. Um, that means I have to be available afterwards and sometimes before and sometimes early in the morning. But I was talking about that and a, a young woman raised her hand and was like, that's really awesome. And like, I like, you know, the thought of that, but like, as a first year, like, I don't have that goodwill. So like, how do I protect my time? Mm. And, and I think that's true. I mean, I've earned a lot of my stripes. I think that that's excellent, you know, a very astute observation, but at the same time, I said to her, you are the only one looking out for you. So you protect your time. It doesn't, I mean, I don't not be available for like hours on end, but like, if yoga is really important to you and like you want to make a 6.30 class three days a week, block it off on your calendar. If you get an invite or someone asks you to do something, I'm not available during that time. I can get to it at XYZ and be intentional because no one is looking out for you. People think, and I thought that there was a stop, you know, a, 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 like a, a red button that just like an escalator, right? That like stopped everything when it felt like too much. And there's not that like, Big law is a machine and you are a commodity. And if you say yes, they will keep giving it to you. So you are the only one to press that red button and say like, no, no more. Um, and to protect your time, protect your weekends, teach people how to treat you. Um, you know, I think a lot of young attorneys think it's like cool to be super busy and bill the most. And it's like super sexy to send emails at like 2 a.m. Like, that's not cool. Like I'm sleeping at 2 a.m. Like uh, that is not that is not a lifestyle for success. Like, and at most big law firms, it's lockstep. So if I build 1950 or if I build, you know, 2100, we're making the same amount of money. Like, <laughs> it doesn't. You don't. You don't get a special prize for being more tired. Um, and sometimes right. you do have to. Sometimes you do have to do that, right? Sometimes there's big deals and some, you know, big cases where you're required to work into the night, and like that's a exception and not the 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 rule. That is um, so I would say being intentional from the get go about setting boundaries and keeping them and maintaining them. Um, and that doesn't mean you can't have one or two times that, you know, you do work a weekend or you do work, you know, late into the night or you miss a yoga class or, you know, whatever it is. But if you've got that baseline, you're going to be fine. And that's going to set you up for a career where you don't burn out at your five or where you're not like looking to leave because you're unhappy and, and setting you up for like a long career. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's so important that 
you're protecting your own mental health, right? Um, and not letting people breach those boundaries that you set up. Yeah. One thing because that you, no, go ahead. It's, it's, it's because people, when people prioritize, like I, I don't live to work, I work to live, right? Mm -hmm. So when people prioritize their job over their families or their health or anything else, like you're gonna lose those other things. And I see too many colleagues who have mental health issues, who aren't eating, who have lost relationships with friends and family mm -hmm. or you know spouses or children. And like no job in the world is worth that No, at all. No. So you had said, um, I'd asked you, I think this is a good tie-in, what's your must-share strategy or piece of advice? And I want to read what you said. And I think this, this ties in perfectly with what you just said. Um, Danielle said, time is of the essence. Invest time in what brings you joy and pure love. Everything else is a waste of time. Maybe this is partly because of the pandemic. I'm not really sure, but people do seem to be reflecting, right. And they're kind of analyzing where have I been spending my time? Right. Cause we get so caught up kind of in the mm -hmm. will of, <laughs> of, of doing life. And mm -hmm. we don't take that time to really just sit down and reflect. Where are we spending our time? Like what is really important to us? What, where are our priorities? Um, so, and I just think that your piece of advice here is, is like a perfect quote, right? Time is of the essence. Invest time in what brings you joy and pure love. Everything else is a waste of time. <laughs> Danielle Bass, I love that. <laughs> so where can people find you, Danielle? Yeah, so I'm at Wilson Cincini. You can always reach out to me uh, through there or LinkedIn. Um, happy to always connect with other attorneys, whether or not you're in my practice area or not. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. Awesome. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. This has been a lot of fun and I hope that we can connect again in a few months. Cause I would love to hear about, um, how teaching is going professor. Yeah. Bass. Yes. My I'm pleasure. Start calling you that. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today on Legally Bliss Conversations. If you love this episode and you want to hang out with other inspiring and light gold female attorneys, be sure to join the Legally Bliss community at legallybliss.com. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at Susie Hickson. See you next time.